you all can be seated. Uh, you can open up your copy of the Bible uh, if you have one to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We're going to read uh, in a few minutes the first four verses of Hebrews, chapter 2. I wanted to, uh, as I'm trying to each week, just to regularly uh, tell you thank you for your generosity as a church family and the, the gifts that you have been providing to the general fund of our church week in, week out, month in, month out. Uh, I'm grateful to see, I get a kind of a bird's eye view of how those things get to uh, impact our church, our community, our world, even through those we've sent out. And I want to try most weeks to just give you even a small glimpse of how that is being invested and good that's coming from that one just this uh, week that is about to start a few days from now is our midweek children's program. Uh, it's called Lost and Found. Uh, there's some of the funds that we pull together go to resources and curriculum and, and things for those children who participate in that program on Wednesday nights. Uh, it starts up at 6 o'clock this Wednesday, and I know my kids are excited to uh, be part of it, and my one who graduated out of it is even volunteering in it. That's how much he loved it to be part of, and so thank you for your generosity, and that's just one way uh, that we're trying to invest in the generations coming behind us. And, and I hope that many of your kids can be uh, part of that uh, this school year. Uh, we're coming today in Hebrews chapter 2 to the first of what uh, many people label warning passages in the book of Hebrews. There's going to be several of them that, that come as we go through this book of the Bible the next several months. Uh, there's going to be several of these warning passages where whoever wrote this letter is seeking to warn the people who are reading it, and I think as we read it now, the Spirit's seeking to warn us and caution us about some things. Uh, and with this being the first one, it just made me kind of rack my brain of when I have seen warning messages or uh, signs even. And I, I was remembering this morning even, uh, back when I was a teenager, my family and I went to Niagara Falls. And some of you have been there before. I don't remember all the details of this, but I do have just a general recollection that way down river or up river, however you would say it, um, from the actual falls, there starts to be these signs uh, near the river, by the road, uh, and I don't know where the first one of them is. It's probably way far away from the river, but starting to warn people, like, if you get into this river, just know where it's going. Uh, be alert to that. Know uh, what lies ahead of you. And I, one thing I think is true, I'd have to go back and validate this, verify this, but what I'm assuming is true, I should say, is that as you get closer and closer to the falls, those signs get way bigger and more explicit, uh, whereas maybe it was kind of a gentle warning, the first one that you see, they just get more and more clear, more and more in your face, like, no, the falls are coming. Like, you better get out of the river. Know the danger that is in front of you. And it, it made me think of this text, because this one uh, is tamer, that I would say, and simpler than some of the ones that are going to come later in the book of Hebrews. There's going to be some that are really heavy, that are really uh, weighty. This one is as well, but it, it would be more kind of like those the first signs that you see way far up the river from Niagara Falls, where it's trying to just put it on our radar screen. Like, there is danger ahead. Like, if you go down certain ways, if you continue down paths that maybe you're on, there is danger ahead. And the author is seeking to alert us to that, to, to warn us about that, to wake us up. If if we're not aware of the potential danger that is ahead. And so I want to uh, come to this text this morning. We're going to read it, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it in just a moment, but I want you to, if your eyes are on it, I'm guessing in your 
copy of the scriptures, the first word or two are probably something like the word therefore or because of this or something like that. And then he, uh, whoever wrote it, is going to make his point, make his command. When, we, when you see that at the beginning of a sentence or paragraph, you should at least know what came before it, right? Because he's saying what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. Uh, so if you weren't here with us the last couple weeks, it is okay. I will in a couple sentences summarize what he's just been saying so we can actually hear the, the punch, the, the weightiness of what he's about to say. But if you look at what we call chapter one, all the things that are coming before this, what the author was trying to say in a nutshell uh, was that Jesus is superior to the angels. Uh, Dr. Matt Harmon preached for us last Sunday on that very subject of how Jesus is better than the angels. And uh, the author is trying to say the angels back in the Old Testament time were part of how God delivered the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. They were the ones who he used to give that law to Moses. But the, the author in Hebrews is saying how God has now spoken through Jesus far surpasses any message that the angels ever gave. Uh, that, it, that it blows out of the water the message that the angels gave of the law. And so that's what he has been saying. You're going to see angels mentioned again this week and even the next couple weeks um, before he moves on to a new subject. But that is what he has been saying. He, he stacked up all these Old Testament texts that you can see in chapter 1 to show God the Son, Jesus, is better than the angels. God the Son, Jesus, better than the angels. His message is better than the angels' message. And now the author turns the corner and says, therefore, and then he's going to give us a command, a weighty, sobering command and a warning. And so I want to read this for us, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The author continues under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. I want to summarize in just one short, short sentence what I think the author is saying here, and then we'll unpack it a bit. But the message I think that he's putting here on this first warning sign uh, in this book is very simple, is to... Don't drift away from the gospel. Don't drift away from the gospel. Uh, so that word drift appears in verse 1, and I, I want to organize the sermon and explanation and application of this text around that word drift, because that's what he's trying to help us be on guard against, to guard against, to prevent and so I'm going to have five statements, so they'll have to be brief for the sake of time, but five statements to organize our thoughts and see what the author is communicating here about drift. And so the first one's going to be this, and these will appear up on the screen as we, as we work through this text, and I'll try to show you where you see that in the Bible itself. Uh, but the first statement that I think he would want us to see and that God would want us to see about drift is this very simple point, is that drift is natural. 
That is what we naturally do, is that we drift. Uh, we, we don't stay, we drift. That, that's the natural bent of the human heart. And uh, we're all familiar with the idea in the physical world of drifting, right? Like we typically think of it uh, in water, or maybe uh, if someone's flying in the air and they don't have their bearings uh, with the ground or their instruments are off, they could drift off course. But drifting, it's a moving away from something, right? Like it's, it's there's either a location I want to be or a path I want to be on, and, and drifting is like a moving away from that. It's a, a slipping away from that place, away from that path, and often it is unconscious, right? Like, it's not really drifting if you're doing it on purpose. That's more like wandering, right? Like, you're purposefully getting off path. Drifting is what you're doing almost accidentally or, or incidentally. You're not doing it on purpose. So, like, if you, like, when we went to the ocean this summer, uh, we, I was throwing a ball around with my kids, and when my back was to the shore, I would, I would be throwing it around with them, and I would lose my bearings about where our stuff was back on the shore, right? And the waves weren't just coming straight in, they were coming kind of diagonal. And when I finally turned around to go back up to the chairs, I realized I was probably like 100 feet maybe down the shore, and you could imagine how that could get magnified a lot if you're, if you're not paying attention for a long time. Uh, you drift, you drift away from the place you think you are or that you intend to be. And what the author is warning against here is drifting, he says, lest we drift away from it. So there's something he doesn't want us to drift away from. And the, the it that we're not to drift away from is, he says, what we have heard. And based on chapter one, what we have heard is the message of salvation through Jesus. Uh, he says, you guys have heard this good news about Jesus. Don't drift away from it. Don't move away from it. Don't, uh, don't get detached from it. Uh, so, and, but what he's pointing out is that drift is natural, right? That's, I think that's implied in verse one. He's saying that if we don't pay careful attention, if we don't pay closer attention to the good news of Jesus, he says, we will drift. Pay attention lest we drift, right? So if we don't pay attention, we will drift. That is what will happen to our heart. That is what will happen to our soul. If we don't give attention to the good news of Jesus, that we will wander away from it. That is our natural bent, our natural tendency. It's not center on the good news of Jesus, but to drift away from it right? Uh, there, there's a song we sing here sometimes called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Uh, and I've noted, I think I've maybe mentioned this in sermons in the past before, but there's a line in that song that I know I feel in my soul when I sing, and I can even hear some of you sing it loudly when we sing it. And it's this line where we acknowledge, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is true even for us as Christians. Like, he's writing to people he doesn't think have drifted yet. But he's saying that is what will happen to us. That's what will take place in our hearts and souls if we don't give attention to it, is that we will wander, we will drift, right? Ships that just sit in the ocean without an anchor don't stay still. You throw a beach ball in the ocean without something attached to it, it doesn't just stay there, it moves, it goes away, right? And the same is true of our heart and souls. We will drift away from the good news of Jesus. 
And drifting happens all sorts of directions, right? It's not just you drift one predictable way. Uh, we could drift many different directions as we move away from the good news of Jesus, as we stop paying attention to it. We could, uh, for these folks, what it seems like, he, what they were tempted to drift back to was keeping the Old Testament law. That's what they were drifting to is, man, we've heard the good news of Jesus, but we've also heard the law. We're gonna like, go back to that. We're, we're not gonna like, disparage Jesus, but we're gonna drift back toward that law keeping. For us, it may not be that. Uh, for us, it may be a drift uh, that you feel in your life of just a disinterest in Jesus, uh, that you start to feel a coldness in your soul, a coldness in your heart toward Christ, probably because you have drifted towards being impressed and entertained by other things or other people. Uh, you're not impressed with Jesus and you started to give your attention. I, I feel this on this Sunday in particular because it's the start of the NFL season today, right? And I bet there are many of you in this room who are more excited to watch the Colts game today than you are to come to church, right? Like we, we get thrilled, we drift, that's drift, right? Like we were impressed by these other things and less by Jesus, right? We, we, we may drift toward law keeping. We might kind of be like them, where even though we've heard the good news of Jesus, like here's forgiveness for you. Uh, here is the grace of God through Jesus. We may be tempted to think, you know what, I'm going to drift back to this idea that I can earn God's favor, that I can earn, I can impress him, I can, I can do enough to, to keep him, and so I'm not going to think about the cross a whole lot, I'm just going to read the laws of the Bible, I'm just going to do all the right things and make sure I button up my life, and we forget about the cross, and we subtly are drifting towards law-keeping and legalism, right? That there's all sorts of ways we could drift. We could drift even towards just feeling shame and condemnation as we, we try to keep law, as we try to do the right things for God and we forget the good news of Jesus, of, of pardon through him. We could start to drift towards shame and condemnation. We may drift towards prideful law keeping. We may drift towards shame uh, when we know that we've broken it. But when we lose sight of the gospel, we do drift. That is what is natural to our hearts natural to our souls and to our lives. But because drift is natural, I would say this doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's acceptable. It doesn't mean that it's harmless, right? The fact that it's natural doesn't mean those things. So the, the second thing that you see him communicating in this text about drift is that drift is dangerous. Uh, drift is natural. It's what we will do if we don't pay attention to the good news, but it is dangerous. Like there, there is reason, there's signs leading up to Niagara Falls, right? It's not just for nothing. Like there's actual danger. There is death. There's destruction that can come to people. And drift in the spiritual sense is dangerous, and this author knows it, and he would want to alert us to it. God would want to alert us to the danger of drifting. And so he, he makes this point in verse 2, and even down into verse three, and it feels kind of like a weird argument to us, but I wanna to try to briefly explain what he's saying in verse two and even into verse three. Because in a nutshell, what he's saying, he's saying that the angels gave this message of the law, right? They, they're the ones who gave the law. They're, and he says their message proved reliable. Did you hear him say that? The message they gave at, in the law proved reliable and the way he says it proved reliable is that every transgression or disobedience received retribution, a just retribution. What he's talking about there is if you, if you were with us last school year, which I know many of you weren't, but we went through the book of Deuteronomy, which is 
about the law of God. It's like a giving of the law of God again. And a big part of Deuteronomy wasn't just do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But there was these long sections, if you remember, of there's blessing if you obey the law and there's curse if you disobey the law. That's what he was saying to the ancient Israelites. And what this author here in Hebrews 2 is saying is, guys, listen to this. The angels told us, God had the angels tell us, if we broke the law, curse was coming. Judgment was coming. If we abandoned the covenant of God, we were going to be sent into exile. We were going to be judged by the nations around us. And he's saying to them, that happened. Like that warning from the angels of curse that could come, of judgment that could come if we abandon the Lord and his message, it actually took place. God did judge us. God did send us out of the land. God wreaked havoc upon us because we had been disobedient to the law. And the reason he's referencing that here in Hebrews is because remember what he's been saying about angels and Jesus. Angels' message, Jesus' message. He's been trying to say, Jesus' message is better and stronger and you should listen to it even more than what the angels said. And he's saying, if the angels said there would be judgment for disobedience and for rejecting God, and it actually happened, he's saying, Jesus has given similar warnings. Jesus has given stronger warnings even, not just of exile from the land, but of hell, of eternal judgment that could come to us if we reject him, if we turn away from his good news. And he is essentially saying, do not play around with this. Like the angel's message came true. Jesus' warnings are not teethless. Like there is actual warrant to them that if we don't receive the gift of salvation, there is judgment that is coming to us. And if we wander away from him and reject him, there is judgment that can come to us. Often we think, of Jesus' message, the, the message that he gave as just being one of pure good news, just of forgiveness, just of life, just of hope. But that is not all that Jesus said. Like there were other notes to the, the, the songs that he would write. There was other layers to the message that he would share, right? Jesus talked about judgment that would come to his enemies. He talked about judgment that would rightly come, that would justly come to people who rejected him, to people who turned him away. One little example amongst many from the lips of Jesus himself uh, or at least to the, the author of this gospel, John, who would have been referencing Jesus' words, is in John three thirty six. 36. In that gospel, it says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Blessing, wonderful, that's good. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus would say things like that. He would talk about the judgment of God coming upon his enemies, of even him someday returning to judge his enemies. And what the author of Hebrews here is saying, guys, if the angel's message, their warning of judgment came true, like to people who rejected God, who turned away from him, he's saying, Jesus' will too. Like Jesus' message of judgment that will come from those who turn away from him, who, who reject him, there is judgment that will come. And this is a sobering message. He is, this author is trying to tell us drift is dangerous. Drifting away from Christ is dangerous. And I don't think we take passages like this one and these other warning passages that come in Hebrews, I don't think we take them seriously enough typically. 
Like we might be kind of like the, the juvenile people who are playing in the river close to Niagara Falls who see the signs and think like, oh, that's for other people. Like I don't, I don't need to hear that. Like I'm, I'm fine. Like we hear texts like this that warn us that judgment is coming for people who drift, for people who walk away from Christ, for people who spurn him and we just ignore them. And he is trying to get their attention subtly here and it's gonna become more explicit in these texts that come later, these warning passages, to to help us see the danger of drifting, that it is real, that there is real threat to our souls if we drift away from the good news of Jesus. But what we often think is because drift is kind of passive, It's not something like, oh, I'm going to drift from Jesus today. And next week, I'm going to drift a little bit more from Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to decide again to drift a little further from Jesus. Because it's a passive thing that in some ways happens to us, oftentimes we think God doesn't take it serious. That because I wasn't willfully choosing to drift, that somehow that doesn't matter. That, that God just views me the exact same, that he understands that, that that sort of accidental drift or purposeless drift isn't liable to judgment. But the author of Hebrews would disagree with us. He would say drifting, it leads to destruction. Like no matter what the reason was behind it, no matter how conscious you are of it, drifting is drifting. Right? I, was, I was thinking of this just in the natural world. If you're thinking of a boat and how it may drift up against the rocks and get destroyed, the rocks don't care if you paddled there or floated there. Right? Like it doesn't matter if you chose to go into the rocks or if they threw you into the rocks. Like that boat is getting destroyed. Like drift, it doesn't, because it's passive, doesn't mean it's not dangerous. That makes it even more dangerous because we don't realize what we're doing. We don't realize what we're careening to. There's a a Niagara Falls ahead and we just are playing around. And it doesn't matter. The falls are still there. Like judgment is still there even if we drift passively, accidentally, right? Because ultimately if drifting lasts long enough, it, it becomes deserting right? Like it's, it's not just accidental or harmless. Drifting becomes deserting. And the, he talks about neglecting the great salvation that's been given to us. Neglecting, ultimately, if it lasts long enough, becomes rejecting, right? It's not just this passive, understandable neglecting of things. When we do that again and again and again and again, and we don't pay attention to Christ, we don't pay attention to the good news, we are responsible for that. Like we should be turned toward Jesus, remembering him again and again and again, this great salvation that he is giving to us. And this author is gonna, throughout this letter of Hebrews, we're gonna see this so many times, he is trying to impress upon them and the spirit would impress upon us the necessity of persevering in our faith. That we are not just called to at a moment when I'm at a youth camp as a teenager or in a moment when somebody tells me the good news of Jesus say, yes, I believe, yes, I repent, Jesus, thank you, and then just live our life how we want to. That is not saving faith. That, that is not being born again. That, that is maybe something you viewed as a transaction or a get out of hell free card or something. That is not the type of faith that the Lord calls us to. He calls us to keep looking to Jesus, to keep turning to him, to keep remembering the good news of his death and his resurrection for us. We are not just called to believe it once, to, to believe it ongoingly. We are not just saved in a moment. We are being saved as well. We, we are being kept by God and we are to persevere in our faith. And what this author says, this is a sobering thing in verse three. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
And the implied answer to that is we won't. Like there is not an escape. Like when we disregard Jesus, when we walk away from him, when we stop thinking about him, we stop seeking to follow him, we we disregard him, the implied answer to that is there is no escape. The exile that the Israelites experienced had an end to it, right? It had a shelf life to it. Eventually God graciously allowed them to come back to the land This judgment that comes to us if we reject Christ doesn't have a shelf life. It's not like we're going to be sent to hell and then it's going to be really awful for X amount of time and there's going to be an end and I'll get to escape that. He is saying there is no escape. Like if we walk away from Christ and we receive the judgment of God, there is no end to that. There is no out to that. It is an eternal judgment that will come upon our souls. And I just want that to sit with us. I want us to think about that for our, think about that truly for your own heart and soul. Think about that for your loved ones. Think about that for your friends. Think about that for your coworkers, your neighbors. Think about that for people. That that if we neglect such a great salvation, if we reject that, if we walk away, we turn away from Christ, there is a judgment from which we will not escape. Like people don't that go over the falls don't get to have a do-over. Right? Like there is a a judgment from which we will not escape. And we must persevere in our faith. This author is going to tell us again and again in all sorts of different ways, persevere in your faith. So he says drift is dangerous. It's natural, but it's dangerous. Uh, That there is judgment that comes for us if we neglect the salvation that God offers to us in Christ. But I I obviously want to share some good news from this text as well. The, the third thing I, I think he would want us to see uh, is that drift is preventable, right? It's not inevitable. It's, it's preventable. That's implied in what he's saying, right? He's giving a command about how to prevent it. Like, lest we drift implies we don't have to drift. Like, that's what naturally will happen. It's not what has to happen. And so he, he tells us how to prevent it, how to seek to keep that drift away from Jesus from happening. And he says that at the very beginning of the text in verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So he tells us how to keep from drifting, right? And and it's not some magic formula. It's not some secret, like, steps of things you need to do. He just says, pay much closer attention to what we've heard. That's how you prevent drift, is to pay attention to the good news of Jesus that you've heard. Uh, that, that paying attention, it's, just, it's like this caution, like this trying to convey this sobriety, like listen up type of language, like pay attention, guys, to what we've heard. Like you've heard this incredibly good news of Jesus. Keep listening to it. Like go back to it again and again. Listen to it again and again and again. That is what is going to keep you from drifting. In the natural world, when we think of a boat, for example, uh, the way it doesn't drift is that it's tied to something, right? It's not that the winds go away or that the waves stop, it's that it is tied to something. There's a fixed point that it is anchored to that keeps it when the wind blows and when the waves come from going. And he is saying, in a sense, the thing we need to be tethered to, the thing that we need to be tied to to keep from drifting is very simple, it's the good news of Jesus. Like that is what has to be in our mind and heart all the time, that we have to keep grasping onto it, keep holding onto it, keep teaching it to each other, keep listening to it as we hear it proclaimed. The good news of Jesus is the message we've heard. 
that we need to keep in front of our eyes. We need to keep in our hearts. We need to get it into our minds again and again and again. And I so appreciate that that's what he says is the way to prevent drift. Often I think, at least as I think about my soul and my heart, I think of the way of preventing drift as not looking to Jesus, but looking out at some of the threats that are there, right? Of like the dangers to my faith or the the things that could lure me away. And that's not bad to think about, like to be attentive to those things. But sometimes we become so paranoid about the world and the, the boogeymans that we see out there and the things that may pull me away that we're not looking at the actual explicit good news of Jesus. Like just being alert to the dangers out in the world will not teach you to love Christ. Like it will teach you to fear them, but it will not keep you close to Jesus. You could see a legitimate danger and keep away from that and slowly drift away toward another one, right? But the the goal is not just to not hit that danger or not hit that danger or not hit these rocks. It's to stay close to Jesus. Like he's not saying just stay away from that, stay away from that. He's saying stay close to Christ. Like stay near to him. Hear the good news of him again and again and again. That is what we are called to do, and that's why I am proud to be not just a pastor of our church, but a member of our church, because I benefit from this so much that as a church, we unashamedly, on purpose, talk about the same thing every Sunday. Like, we we talk about the cross every Sunday. We talk about what we have heard again, and we tell you it again, and I tell myself it again, and we sing about it again, and we pray about it again. Like, we remember the cross. We remember the resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday when we gather together because hearing that, being taught about that, is what's going to keep us from drifting away. It's what's going to keep us near to him, impressed by him. Uh, We're not just trying to to talk about the world and critique the world and, and help you see all the pitfalls in the world. We're trying to help each other see the goodness of Jesus, like to see the greatness of the salvation that he offers to us and that he has granted to us. And so the way we prevent drift is very simple, is remembering and getting the gospel into our hearts again and again and again. You can do that a simple way. You can do what he says in verse one to pay closer attention to what we have heard is to come here every Sunday. Or if you're a part of another church, worship with them every Sunday. Now, because at least once a week, you're hearing about the good news of Jesus. And the world may speak to you all sorts of different things Monday to Saturday. But when you come on the Lord's Day, you're hearing the age-old story, the old, old story of Christ again. And it helps you return to it, see the value of it. So come to worship Worship at home. Uh, Seek to have at least small installments in your dorm room or your apartment or your house where you, either as an individual or with the people uh, that you live with, where you actually seek to worship the Lord there, where you take at least moments, where you read the scriptures together, where you remind each other of the good news of Christ. Uh, A way you can help pay close attention to what you've heard is to tell it to other people. Uh, proclaiming the good news of Jesus is a way to even keep it in front of your own heart and keep it in your own consciousness. You can sing about the good news of Jesus. That's a way to pay closer attention to it. Sing when you're here. Uh, Hear it, listen to other people sing. Sing at home. There's tools we have now to to hear the good news of Jesus in song anytime we want. Like we can have the good news reminded us there. Uh, There's all sorts of ways that we can pay closer attention to what we have heard But note that he says to pay attention to it. It's not just to be around it. Like to just have it kind of swirl, like just to be in this room. Or just have music on. 
Like it's to actually pay attention to it, like actually listen to it. Uh, There's ideas, there's facts that are told us. It's not just a feel we're going for, it's not just an experience we're going for, there is truths that we need to remember. There is things that we need to hold fast to in our life that our Savior came to this earth and lived for us and suffered upon the cross for our sins and was laid in the tomb and was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father and someday is returning and he offers us pardon. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us eternal life. You need to hear that a million times in your life. You, you will drift from it if you don't hear it and if you don't pay attention to it. And so be around it. Be, be in places where you hear it. Bring it into your own wheelhouse and then pay attention to it. Don't just let it kind of be around you. Pay attention to it. So drift is preventable. That is good news. Fourth thing I, I want to say about drift, and this comes more from verse 3 and 4. I didn't know exactly how to fit this into a sentence of drift is fill in the blank. This is the closest I could come. Is that drift is foolish. And this is, this is what I mean when I say that drift is foolish. If you look at the second half of verse 3 down through verse 4, uh, the author, whoever it was, he, he's been trying to give uh, a warning as a, as a reason to stay close to Jesus and to, to keep coming back to that message. But in verse 3 and 4, it's like he's giving them a positive reason to believe the good news of Jesus and to keep coming back to it. He's not just saying, warning, 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 warning. He's saying, there's actually positive reason. Like, there's good reason to believe this and keep it close to you. And so he says this. Talking about this good news of Jesus, this salvation, he says, there's these, these facts that are just true about the good news that should make us listen to it, that should make us pay attention to it. The first reason, he says, is that it was declared at first by the Lord. That's speaking of Jesus himself, like that the gospel, the good news of forgiveness through him came not from Peter or Paul or any of the apostles. It came from Jesus himself. Like he's the one who proclaimed forgiveness of sin. He's the one who proclaimed liberty to the, the captives. He's the one who gave us this good news of God's grace through him, right? Uh, he is the one who said that. So that's reason number one we should believe it, that it's wise to believe it and hold fast to it. Then he says, not just that, that'd be reason alone to pay attention to it. But then he says, it was attested to us by those who heard. So it wasn't just Jesus said it and then it just kind of fell flat and Jesus was kind of just a whatever people thought he was just kind of crazy or something like that and making up ideas. This author says his message of salvation was attested to by those who heard. And so this man really did die. He really was raised from the dead. He really did perform miracles. He really did say these things. And there are countless people who attested to that, who saw him do it, who, who saw him breathe his last on the cross, who helped bury him, who saw him resurrected with their own eyes and could not believe it at first, like who, had, who struggled to believe it but saw it nonetheless. They have attested it attested to it. Uh, like it's not just Jesus said these things, but these women at the tomb, Mary, like she saw it. She attested to it. Peter, John, they saw it. Even the apostle Paul saw the resurrected Jesus and heard him tell him the good news of Jesus. All these people have attested to the good news of Jesus. So we should believe it. And then if that's not enough, reason more to believe it, verse 4 is that God also bore witness to the truth of this. Uh, it's not just that humans said it, but God the Father bore witness to the truth of the good news of Jesus by giving signs and wonders 
and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that he distributed according to his will. So he's saying that God the Father has given us further proof, further reason to believe the good news of Jesus, to take him seriously. He's healed people. He's raised the dead. He, he has given these gifts, these fillings of the Spirit to operate in certain ways, to, to say certain things, to benefit the church in certain ways. God himself, and there's even like all members of the Trinity involved here, right? Like the Lord Jesus declared it at first. God bears witness to it by giving gifts of the Holy Spirit. All three of them are speaking to us. Believe this good news of Jesus. Like there is ample reason to believe the good news of Jesus and to take it seriously and to keep coming back to it again and again and again. And that's why I say, if we don't listen and pay attention to it, we are foolish. Drift is foolish. Like staying near to the message of Christ, listening to it again and again is wise. Drifting is foolish. We are spurning the evidence that God has given to us that this message, there is much at stake in it. And if we walk away from it, we are fools. Like we are, are foolish men and women, boys and girls, if we walk away from that good news of Jesus, ample reason has been given to us to believe. So drift is foolish. I want, I want to speak a last word from this text uh, because I, I don't want this text, I don't want the later warning passages that are coming in the book of Hebrews, I don't want them to crush you. I, I, because... I have anticipated this sermon. I'm anticipating some that, that come with these other texts later in Hebrews. I know how these texts can be used by the enemy. Like these texts can be tools in his hand to really mess with our hearts and minds. Because there may be some of you in the room who you think, I have drifted. Like I have devalued Jesus. Maybe there was some moment I thought I believed in him long ago, but I have long since drifted from him. And you hear drift is preventable, but you didn't prevent it. And, and now you are far away and you hear drift is dangerous. That, that judgment comes to those who have drifted away from Christ. And you, you could start, your mind could start to go to these places and Satan could just feed this. And your mind and heart to think, I am a lost cause. Like I have drifted I deserve judgment, like I have forsaken Jesus, I have walked away from him, I have stopped valuing him, and there is judgment coming for me, if, if I'm reading this text right. You're, you're drifting, maybe some of you in the room, your drifting has become deserting. Like your neglecting has become rejecting, and you know, I hope, I've prayed for some of you this morning, that you would realize the danger that you're in. But what I, I want you to hear as well, this fifth point about drifting is the most important one, and it's the simplest one, you see it in this text, is that drift is forgivable. Like, drift is forgivable. Like, it, it is. And Satan would love to just wreak havoc in your mind and heart and think, I am too far gone. But I, I'm at the edge of Niagara Falls. Like I have gone, I'm at that point of no return. There is no forgiveness for me. There is no mercy that could be given for me. I have wandered. I, I have strayed from him too far. He will not receive me. But I, I would point you to the middle of verse 3 and to the simple phrase of a great salvation. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus offers not just salvation, 
uh, to the people that we think deserve it. They were a little bit bad. They, they drifted a little bit. He offers a great salvation to anyone who will receive it. Like he offers it to the people who are on the cusp of going over the rocks. He offers it to, to people who have drifted just a bit. He offers it to people who have wandered for a day. He offers it to people who have wandered for a lifetime. He offers forgiveness for drift. I was imagining just uh, if some, I've read some stories this week about drift, uh, trying to think of a story that could help uh, to illustrate some of these things, and none of them really registered. Um, but I read a lot of stories about how people drifted off course, especially out in the ocean. And, and I was, uh, these stories are obviously told by the people who were miraculously saved, that somehow, coincidentally, they were saved. But they described some of this experience that they had when they realized they were off course. Like when they realize I have drifted and nobody knows where I am or like a, a flight maybe that drifted off course in the military and they know they don't have enough fuel now uh, when they realize where they are to get back and they, they talked about the despair that they felt, the hopelessness that they felt when they realized I am in the middle of nowhere, I am far from safety, I have no prospect of safety, I have no prospect of rescue. And I was imagining that there are some maybe in this room or maybe some people that you know who you would feel like those people in that moment where you've had this aha moment where suddenly you've realized I have drifted, I am lost, and you think there is nobody that will hear me. Like those people, when they drifted off course, if they even tried to send out a signal, or, or set some rocks up on the shore, something they knew nobody's probably gonna see this. Nobody's, it's just gonna go into the air, it's gonna do nothing, and maybe there's people here who feel like, man, I am so far from Christ that even if I cried out to him, he wouldn't hear me. Or I've rejected him so much that even if he could hear me, he wouldn't save me. Like, he wouldn't waste the time to come to me. And I am telling you, that is a lie from Satan. Like, because Christ hears all. Like there is no place you can drift to where he can't hear you. And there is no place you can drift to where he can't save you. Like he is the one who leaves the 99 to go to the one who's astray, right? He is the one who meets us in the depths, who reaches us in the far reaches of earth and life that where we have wandered from him, we have tried to escape from him. Even there, he can see you and he can hear you. And the good news is he can rescue you. It's not that you need to paddle, your, now you need to get your bearings and paddle yourself back to him. That is not how salvation works. Is that he comes to you. Like Jesus did not drift to the cross, right? Like he set his face to it. Like salvation is not just some accidental thing where he stumbled upon us. He comes after his enemies. He comes after the people who have drifted far from him and says, brother, sister, I am willing to receive you back. I don't care what you've done. I suffered for those very things you feel shame over. I suffered and died for those very sins of drifting from me. Receive my gift of salvation. Receive my offer. And if we turn from our sin and take him up on that and place our trust in him, we are saved in that moment. We are restored to a place of safety with Christ that very moment. Not because we paddled ourselves back, but because Christ laid down his life for us and he is glad to receive us back. That is incredibly good news. That drift, no matter how long it is, as long as we are on this side of the rocks and have not succumbed to death, there is hope for forgiveness. Drift is forgivable for the worst of sinners, for the furthest of drifters. 
thinking about warning signs, I was just thinking, like, as we see these different types of warning signs in life, maybe it's about when we were out in the desert, warning signs about scorpions nearby or snakes nearby, or maybe you see warning signs about electricity that you need to be cautious around, or maybe you see warnings about currents, things like that. We see these signs, these warning signs in our life, and I think we often run to two poles, with signs like that, where we either just straight ignore them and think, oh, I don't need that, I'll figure this out, and I'll, I'll be okay. Or some people, if your personality is like mine, you become terrified of the thing, and like you become crippled with fear, you become, like there's gonna be a scorpion right here to bite me, I can't even go on this sidewalk. Like we either ignore them, the warnings, or we obsess about them, and we become crushed by them. These warning passages in Hebrews are not to produce either of those in us. Like, they are ones we should never just ignore, brush by, pretend, oh, there's nothing to that. I'm good with the Lord. I don't even need to contemplate that. But we also should not just be crushed by them and be constantly wondering, have I drifted? Have I drifted too far? Have I, have I neglected this great salvation or become paranoid? These are signs, like those signs along the Niagara River, the St. James River, whatever it is that leads up to the falls, that are trying to lovingly caution us. They're trying to draw our attention to the judgment that could come, the destruction that could come to us, and alerting us in this instance to stay near to Christ. That's what those signs are going to tell us again and again and again, is to turn back to Christ. Turn to the good news of Jesus. Cling to him. Cling to the good news about him, and you will arrive safely into harbor. Right? That is how we make it to heaven. That is how we make it to the new earth, is that we believe and we continue to believe. We rest upon the work of Jesus when we come to salvation, and we rest upon it every step of the way. And praise God that he is glad to forgive drifters like me and you. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song, and then I'll leave you with a word of benediction. But let's pray. God, we are grateful for texts like these. They are hard. They are sobering. God, I I pray that you would bind the enemy now uh, from using a text like this to cripple people in fear, to just give them a dread of you, to give them just a, a sense that you are heartless, that you are merciless toward them. But I pray that they would receive, that we would receive this text as a kindness from you, as a caution from you. And I pray more than crippling us that you would compel us by a text like this and the ones that are to come that we would know the dangers that lie before us, that we would know the danger of drifting, and that we would seek to prevent it, yes, but that we would know that it is forgivable, uh, that, that you show grace even to drifters like us. And so we pray as we sing, we pray that you would remind us of what we have heard, that even in singing we would pay careful attention to the good news that we have heard about your son Jesus. And we pray that we would grow in our love and our faithfulness to you as a result. And we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.